Welcome to The Rock's Podcast. The book of Acts picks up right where the four Gospels leave off. The risen Christ commissioned his disciples to go into all the world and preach the good news. Acts tells us exactly how that happened, how the soul-saving message of the Gospel spread throughout the entire Roman Empire in less than 30 years. Through enormous obstacles and without many resources, proven leadership, or modern technologies, these early Christians turned the world upside down because they had the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. This is their story. Let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this amazing book. All righty, happy church. It's that time to get started. And as we get settled down, we get everything dialed in. We are headed back to now, picking up in Acts chapter 15. I'll remind you that the missionaries are at home. Paul and Barnabas, they are now safe and secure back in the home church, the sending church there in Antioch, Syria. And, uh, you know, when success happens, sure enough, there'll be an attack from the evil one. And so uh, that's the story in this morning's passage. We're going to see what happens and how they handle it. Let's pray together. Father God, we look to you now here in a very famous and what some scholars say the most important chapter in the New Testament, perhaps in the Bible, because at the end of the passage, we come away with the conclusion that we're saved by grace through faith plus nothing. It's all about the work that you did for us, and whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, period, end of story, in Jesus' name, amen. It was a very frustrating conversation. I met this man at an outdoor wedding reception. We bumped into each other at the refreshment table there. And after a little small talk, we realized that we were both believers. And so I told him I was a pastor, Santa Rosa. There was a little bit of a pause. And then he said, "Um, Pastor, have you been water baptized? And I knew immediately where this would be going. And so to buy myself a little time to collect my thoughts, I said, so why do you ask that? And he said, it's important, that's why. And I said, yeah, I know it's important. It's it's a command, but it can't save you. And he said, that's not what the Bible says. And it was game on. Back and forth like a good tennis match. (laughs) And I hope you realize who was the last one to hit the thing. Well, here's how I hit that last ball. I said, you know what? Remember the thief on the cross? Does that bring back any memories? Well, there was this hardened felon, and he was hanging there dying rightfully for his sins there. Uh, But he had a change of heart, didn't he? Something Jesus said, maybe the sun going out at noontime. Uh, You know, something changed him, and then suddenly, instead of mocking, he's standing up for the Lord. And then the Lord said those famous words, but according to your theology, the Lord would have to say, today, this day, I would have loved for you to be in paradise with me But unfortunately, you're not water baptized. (laughs) Well, I'm here to tell you that Jesus kept his promise to that hardened criminal who lived a nasty life until the last seconds. He brought nothing but a defiled, wasted human life, helpless, hopeless. He could do nothing to save himself. And all he did was trust that Jesus was who he was claiming to be and cried out, remember me when you come into that kingdom of yours. And Jesus said, done. Period. That's it. 
That's amazing grace, how sweet the sound for sure. So he's been enjoying paradise for 2,000 years. That's the thing about a free gift, isn't it? No strings attached. Like the famous hymn from the 1700s. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. But not all believers like to sing that song. You know, it's a blow to one's pride, and it's hard to receive charity, even if it is at the hand of God. So they'd rather sing, something in my hand I bring, simply to my water baptism I cling. But you know what? If water baptism isn't your choice of legalism, well, just fill in the blank. Unless you fill in the blank, you cannot be saved. And that's exactly what the men in this passage who claim to be believers, the Bible calls them believers. Here in Acts chapter 15, verse 1. Some men, I love the King James, certain men... (laughs) They came down from Judea, Jerusalem, to Antioch, Syria. But the Bible always says coming down anywhere, even though they're going up. Because Jerusalem, from God's point of view, is the top of the world. And whenever you leave Jerusalem, uh, you're going down. (laughs) And whenever you're going to Jerusalem, from whatever direction in the Bible, you're going up. Some men came down from Judea to Syria, and we're teaching the brothers there at the church that Paul and Barnabas pastor. They're visiting and they're saying, hey, guys, you Gentiles, listen up, unless you're circumcised. According to the custom taught by Moses, you will not be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. Strong words in the Greek, so Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem headquarters to see the apostles and the elders about this very question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Syria, Phoenicia, and Samaria, another Gentile area, they told how the Gentiles on their missionary journey had been converted there in Cyprus and modern-day Turkey. This news made all the brothers there in those churches on the way to Jerusalem very happy. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider that very question. Okay, we'll pause there. We're going to walk through these very intriguing passages. Why do they call uh, this chapter the most important watershed chapter in the Bible? Because it will determine once for all, how do we get saved? Is it grace plus something we have to do? Or is it just merely trust in what Jesus did and him alone? So before we meet the Christian troublemakers, because they are called believers, uh, and get introduced to their legalistic heresy, heresy means a false teaching that departs from orthodox belief. Uh, Let's take a look at that map again, and I'll get the context going for you. Lots of moving parts here. So Jerusalem's the birthplace of Christianity, right? And God said, you know, to the uttermost parts of the world, but it started going west, right? And so now there's a Gentile church in Syria, which Paul and Barnabas up here, sorry, pastor. And they sent them out, and if you've been with us for two months, we've been talking about this beautiful journey, Acts chapter 13 and 14. They went up from Cyprus up to uh, Galatia, and then back. And now there are Gentile churches and believers without regard to Jewish customs springing up, and certain men from Jerusalem, the Pharisees who 
possibly have gotten saved, they are called believers, uh, who love Moses and keeping rules and regulations, they are following in Paul and Barnabas' footsteps to the Gentile churches, telling them not the good news, the bad news. Oh, we're glad that you've got a great starting point with Jesus, the cross, the blood of Jesus, but fellas, <laughs> there's some work to do. All right, And so that's what they're doing. And not only do they go to Galatia, and if you read Galatians, the whole book is about this question. The whole book of Galatians is about the same guys that went to Galatia. But this time they're coming up here in our story from Jerusalem straight up to Syria to the sending church where Paul and Barnabas is. And this is the scene of the story. Now as they're infiltrating the church. They were received as guests, whoa, from Jerusalem, the long robes, your Pharisees, you love Jesus, yes. And then once they got in, they started saying, hey guys, listen up. you got to become Jewish before you become a Christian. That's really the sense of it. Thank you. We can go to verses 1 through 6 now. So after the success, spiritually speaking, I don't know if you've noticed this in your personal life or not, Uh, But then comes the attack, the pushback, you see. And so that's what's happening here. The power of hell cannot prevail against the church, as uh, Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 16. But the devil can put up a pretty good fight. So if he can't have your soul, here's what he does, and here's what he's doing to them. He can't have them anymore. They belong to Christ, these Gentile brothers and sisters. Uh, And Gentile means nation. It just means not Jewish, all right? And so what he's doing to them is he he can't have them. Their souls are eternally secure uh, to go to heaven, but now he's going to try to hinder them. He's going to try to oppress them, to make them unproductive in ministry, to confuse them with error and rob them of their joy and assurance and peace, you know? And the way he's going to do that is through Christians, who love legalism instead of the, the, the law of love and grace. And so as it says in verse 5, they're believing Pharisees who stand and say, look, if you ever think you're going to heaven, you've got to become uh, Jewish. And so this is the point. Uh, Irish-born scholar George Williams put it this way. It's very difficult for some Jewish Christians, and they were all Jewish at the beginning to accept that non-Jewish people could be brought into the church as equal members without first coming through the law of Moses or doing any kind of Jewish uh, rites or rituals. It was one thing to accept the occasional God-fearer, as they would call uh, Gentiles who like to hang out with Jews in the synagogues and eat kosher. They'd call them God-fearers, right? Uh, it was one thing to see an occasional God-fearer, but it was quite another to welcome large numbers of Gentiles with no regard for Jewish law, Jewish customs, Jewish rituals. And they had no intention of keeping any of that, these new Gentiles, right? So in other words, you could go from worshiping frogs, <laughs> bowing down to idols, and doing the most, the grossest uh, kinds of religious rituals, and then you could call on the name of the Lord, and you could be fully saved, going to heaven, sins washed away, a place to rule and reign with Christ forever, with no knowledge of Moses or any of the prophets or anything Jewish or with a future uh, desire to learn about them or to do them. Just nothing. You could jettison all things Jewish because all things Jewish wasn't important to salvation as far as the rituals go and Judaism. So uh, a couple things working against legalistic believers. Number one, grace is so shocking, as it was just shocking, that you can have a lifetime of sin and then at the very last second say, oh, I'm sorry, I messed up my life, I believe in you. Boom, done. It's just shocking. And so they would say, come on, does that sound right to you? He's just going to wave his magic wand and all you have to do is say, Jesus, forgive me, and you're saved from hell and going to live forever? Yeah. That's what it teaches. 
plain and simple. And it is so hard for some people because it, and this is the second reason it's hard, because it's a blow to your ego and our pride. Nobody likes to receive charity to say I'm helpless and hopeless. I'm a loser, spiritually speaking. I'm a complete and utter moral failure. Nothing good dwells in me apart from God's spirit. That, those, that's hard to say. It's just really hard to admit that we can't do it on our own. Like Cain and Abel. Abel said, I, 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 I'm going to do what you told us, Lord. The only way to bring uh, any offering to you is a slain animal that is, represents me. I should be dead. So Abel brought the slain lamb and said, I've got nothing good. And Cain said, look what I can do. Something in my hands I can bring simply to my good works. Look at all of this beautiful work that I've done for you. And the Lord said, ah, no, you'll have to come through a slaughter of a sacrifice on your behalf because you are incapable of producing one bit of goodness where it counts for salvation. And so these kinds of Christians, legalistic kinds, and these Pharisees came up with uh, Gospel 2.0, Grace Plus. And it's very popular, i.e. the fella at the wedding reception. Uh, Yes, I'm glad you love Jesus, but I hope to God that you've been water baptized. And then, as I've been saying, fill in the blank. And so... Yeah, um, believers, do they realize when they're theologically off that they're causing such harm? Um, if you ask them, uh, here's what they'd say. No, 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 we're not causing trouble. We're upholding the truth. We're standing for righteousness. We're following the clear commands of Scripture and helping others to do the same. See, only they weren't. <laughs> They were hindering God's work. One writer said, sad but true, many of the most destructive and insidious threats to a local church's well-being come from within, not without, outside, as it were. So these esteemed visitors from uh, Judea have arrived, and they're saying, uh, unless you become Jewish, in other words, unless you're circumcised, because that was kind of the thing that made it official, welcome to the family. And so we've talked about this before. It's very simple. Circumcision was commanded by God in Genesis 17 in order uh, to belong to God's family. He said, if you want to go from sinner to the children of God, to the people of God, here's what you got to do. And he said, you got to, males have to be circumcised. Circumcision speaks in a prophetic way that reveals how sinners can become the people of God. And as I've told you before, the truth of circumcision is this. You must be born again. You have to be born of God. If you're going to go from death to life, spiritually speaking, you, you have to be born of the Spirit. Natural human reproduction is not sufficient to save your soul. If you're born once the regular way that we come to life, you will die twice. Revelation 21, the physical death first and then the spiritual death, which is the judgment where we are removed if you don't know the Lord that humans are removed forever, separated. That's called the second death. Now, if you're born twice, you die once, only physically, you see. Now, so being born of the Spirit supersedes being born of the flesh. So the mark is placed accordingly. That's it. You have to be born again. That's what it's about. And in Galatians 5, writing to his beloved church that had, was dealing with these same guys, upsetting the entire church, here's what he wrote concerning, you've got to be circumcised, to the Galatians, Galatians chapter 5. Cross-reference, Spencer, thank you. Ah, you're already there. Dude, it'll all look the same because it started with the one. <laughs> it, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. 
Stand firm, guys. Don't let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, I'm telling you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all, except you can boast and say, I'm an official Jew, and I don't eat pork chops. And look at me, I'm wonderful, and you guys are not. Verse 3, again, I, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he's obligated to obey the whole law. 613 commandments. Get busy. Verse 4, you are trying... To be justified, acquitted, pardoned, forgiven, led into heaven by the obeying commands, by the law. You who have, are doing that have been alienated from Christ. Uh, you know, it's either grace or nothing. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith, hello, the righteousness getting right with God for which we hope, by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith. It expresses itself through love and new creation, he goes on to say. And so there you have it. Way worse and more grievous was this thing they'd separate. So the Pharisee believers would come in, and then they wouldn't eat with the Gentile believers. So, you know, they'd separate themselves uh, and, and, and it made them feel so much more holy and superior. Uh, and the Gentile believers were made to feel quite unholy and inferior. And isn't that what feeds every legalistic Christian? Every single one of them. They will never say this, but this is what feeds the fire to be legalistic, is this. I love God more than you all. I'm holier than you all. I know the Bible better than you all. I'm working harder at this than you. They don't say it, but that's the message that comes across. And so uh, they're at Calvary Chapel Antioch. Now, guess what? There are offended people. What do you mean you're not sitting with me anymore? You're sitting over there. What do you, I got cooties now all of a sudden, right? And so now there's a lot of this going on. And is there a lot of love there? No. There's squabbling, there's bitterness, there's arguing, there's dissension. And so when the new visitors come in, they leave going, that's church. Hey, I've got this problem in my own family, all the fighting and all the fussing. And so, yeah, that's the whole point that Satan does. He loves division for that. And those who bring division, Proverbs chapter 6 says, God hates that. He actually says, I hate the one who causes division. He says it, Proverbs. So, yeah, the legalism loving brothers are laying it on thick and they're like you eat that you put cheese on your burger you know that <laughs> no 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 this kind of thing you think you're getting into heaven like that no it's not gonna happen so if you want to make it to heaven brothers get rid of the bacon quit planning outings on your sabbath which is saturday uh get rid of the christmas trees stop letting your children go on the devil's holiday to trick or treat uh stop drinking wine with spaghetti and beer with your pizza and just get saved all right you see that's what they were saying they were upsetting a lot of people and the last ps was the most hard to take and guys fellas listen to me Get to the rabbi. Get right, get right with God, man. Have the procedure. It's called a bris, B-R-I-S, for you Gentiles. You can Google it and have a little laugh in the parking lot. Right? <laughs> because the bris is the procedure. Ouch. Okay. That the the uh, this evokes a fierce response in the Greek in verse two, and don't worry, we'll get through it, even though we're only at verse two. Uh, but we, we'll, we're moving along. Uh, the the sharp dispute, the same word that is used of Barabbas, who was imprisoned for insurrection. The word there for discussing and disputing is there was an uprising. Paul and Barnabas said, this is the hill we die on. Oh, we, we don't have to argue about other stuff, but this we're going down, right? And so there were veins popping and eyes bulging because the future of Christianity and the gospel, all of the churches that they just planted 
It's all hanging by a thread of the answer to this question. And so since there was no final resolve, they decide to go to Jerusalem. I love how this, uh, the Spirit guides them through two Gentile areas so that the Pharisees, this is God's kindness to the Pharisaical believers. Let's stop in at all of the Syrian Phoenicia, the Syrian churches that love Jesus and don't do anything Jewish. And let's stop in at Samaria and see all the Samaritans who don't eat kosher and don't, don't pay attention to Jewish customs. Look at the work and the power and the transformation of God. And then in the evening services, if you're reading the text, Paul and Barnabas are telling those Gentiles about the Gentile mission there in Asia about what just happened. And so now the Pharisees have to see it and hear it, and they, they should be prepared they should be prepared to say, hey, we started trouble. And they all get to Jerusalem and have this, the, the Pharisees stand up and say, listen, we started, we're a little bit off, but God has shown us through Phoenicia and Samaria and hearing the stories, brothers, let's just pray together and worship because we were wrong. Nope, that's not going to happen. You know, so uh, notice, love this. I think it's verse 4 where they're sharing the story. So they get to Jerusalem, they're cordially welcomed, the small talk's happening, and the Pharisees, who are miffed, are behaving themselves. They're acting civilized. And so everybody's kind of talking, but here's what's happening. The first thing that happens is the stories start coming out. Oh, my word, brothers, let us tell you, we took missionary journey number one, Acts chapter 13 and 14, and let us tell you all the things that happened. Well, what happened was is that they were making the point that what God is doing among the Gentiles with no Jewish customs whatsoever, you see? So there's just this atmosphere, wow! And, and everybody's getting praising God. And then suddenly the Debbie Downers stand up and say, before this gets carried uh, too far, just so you know, those Gentiles, they need to become Jewish in order to be saved. I hate to rain on everybody's parade, uh, but verse 6. Notice verse 6, and then we'll move on. Verse 6 gives you some wisdom for conflict management. Uh, they set a time. You know, it comes up right there. Do they just dive right in? No. Well, the emotions are hot, and everybody's tired, and they just arrived. No, no. They set a time, and they're going to discuss it there at the table, right? Uh, but that's what that's smart. Time, if you're taking notes, time and place matter with sensitive topics. It just does. But well, we are just impatient and it's happening, and we get sucked into it, and then, you know, it's, it, it would be like a big problem coming to me as a pastor in the foyer on a Sunday morning in the middle of uh, one of the services where the counter's ticking. Nothing's going to get solved there. Come to my office on Tuesday, and we'll have a couple guys. We'll all sit down. Now, what does that do? And what it does here, it gives... Emotions a chance to settle so that rational thinking, so that your wife can say, well, actually, did you consider this? And then God can speak to you in other ways. So the timing matters. Married couples, please, you know, just figure out this is a deep thing. It's delicate. It's intricate. It's volatile. Stepping in the wrong way is going to blow something up. So just say, why don't we agree to talk in the morning or maybe tomorrow night we'll have dinner or something smart. Other than, you know, in the middle of putting your kids down, you want to start talking about the budget. You know, you pull out the checkbook. What's this joke about? You know, and the kids are crying and screaming and, you know, you're going to have a disaster you see, or the guy who, <laughs> the guy and the gal, you know, they're newly, they're newlyweds, let's say, and you know, it's nighttime, and there's some nice music on, and somebody lights a candle, and then somebody, not thinking, brings up, you know, this afternoon when you said park over there, you know, and I did, and then you know what happened, and you know, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? The candles are going to be blown out, buddy. 
I just saved you $125 an hour. <laughs> Time and place. And so, okay. <laughs> Uh, allow the Holy Spirit some time to work. I love the proverb 19 verse 2. Hasty feet miss the way. Okay, the day is done and the coffee's brewed and they're sitting down. It's time to talk. 7 through 12. After much discussion, that's a big word. It's, it means interrogation and uh, disputation. It's an it's serious word. Peter gets up and addresses them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips, the apostle to the Jews, hello, the message of the gospel and believe. Oh, that's important right there. The message of the gospel about Jesus dying on the cross, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, uh, to the gospel, to the Gentiles, and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He made, God makes no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith, and as he said, he does the same with us. Now then, why do you fellas try to test God by putting on the necks of these disciples a yoke, a burden, that neither we nor our fathers through all of Jewish history have been able to bear? No, we believe this. It's through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we're saved, period, or comma, in this case, just as they are. Verse 12, the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among non-Jewish people through them. And so let's talk about conflict resolution, Christian style, especially helpful in corporate uh, situations. Lots of insights here, note takers. So notice number one, both sides are allowed to speak. All right, that's important. Um, everybody's given opportunity. Uh, it's very hard to let those who are in error, who are uh, emotionally difficult to deal with, to let them do, the, uh, do a lot of talking and go on for days, you know, and all of that. But it's important that uh, they get a chance to speak and, and be heard um, because Proverbs 18 says, spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. I love that very much. And so, uh, so when the matters, then everybody at the table can speak, speak. And when, when, when you figure out, okay, it's all out. They can keep going on for days, but it's out and they've been heard sufficiently. Then it's time for a leader to step up and it's Peter's turn here. And so, um, does Paul give Peter the eyeball like, mm, come on, stand up, talk? Because it's Peter, the apostle. Who better? The apostle to the Jews, as he's called, everybody knows. He's Mr. Jewish. He has like mm, sympathies with these fellows. He's very patriotic, and he had to learn the hard way that Gentiles are people too, <laughs> that Gentiles are part of the deal. And so God in Acts chapter 10 put him through a humiliating ordeal to teach Peter a big lesson, one that he is going to remind them of. And that's what he's talking about here that happened in uh, Acts chapter 10. And so, yeah, he says, you know, I've been in your shoes, fellow. So following along in the text a few years ago, as you all know, God made a choice. And, and why me? Well, because I struggle with it. And I, I'm the guy, I'm, I'm Mr. Jewishness, you know? And so he sent me to Cornelius' house. And I went into his house, which we weren't allowed to do, remember? And I had a vision, and, and this is the kind of thing he's talking about. I ate with them, and I preached to them, and I didn't say a word about Moses. The other word, I preached the gospel and told them Jesus died for their sins. And he doesn't look at our ethnicity. I'm going back to Acts 10, what he actually said. God doesn't look at our ethnicity. He looks at our hearts. And he welcomes anybody, whosoever, will put their faith in Jesus. 
That's what I told him, guys. Right? <laughs> and so, yeah, I didn't talk to him about eating kosher. Instead, I apologized. I had to confess to them. God nailed me, fellas. God told me to Cornelius' house of Gentiles. Peter had to say, look, God told me, stop making a distinction between you and them, Jews and Gentiles. He says, stop doing that, Peter. And he had to tell me three times, stop it. So I apologize, and I pull up a table, and I eat alongside with you, and I preach the gospel, and then they're all speaking in tongues. Peter's speaking in tongues, and Cornelius is speaking in tongues, the Italian. <laughs> As I like to call him back then, and apparently you were there for that. <laughs> all right, so Peter's saying, what did we learn from that? God looks at the heart. Our sins and their sins cost the same. The sins that saved Mary Magdalene save an upright moralist. He says, we all get saved. We all get saved the same way. Simple faith. So question, he says, follow me along. Why in the world would you be tempting God? Why are you tempting his patience? What are you poking him in the eye for? Because God's saying, hey, everybody, good news. It's free, it's free, it's free. And you're saying, hey, everybody, bad news. Work, work, work. There's a list, there's a list. So you're upsetting, you're provoking. The word means to provoke God's patience by saying something opposite than what he's saying. He's saying it's free and grace, you're preaching law. He's making it easy. You're making it difficult. God is saying believe and you're saying work. He says it's free and you're saying strings attached. You're testing God. He says you might want to stop doing that for that reason alone. You know. And then he says, you know, why in the world are you making it hard for them? Because let's be honest, gentlemen, <laughs> has obeying the law worked for Israel? Has, has the commandments helped us or just condemned us? So let us, he says, our forefathers, and they think Mount Sinai, where the law came on day one. What happened? The law came down. How helpful was it? Not very. Because what happened? A month after they have the tablets with etched with the finger of God, <laughs> what happens? A drunken festival around two gods made of their own gold that Aaron forged in the fire and said, Hero Israel, this is who got you out of Egypt. These two fertility gods from Egypt. Those were the calves. So there was sexual immorality around the circle with a drunken festival while the tablets are still warm. So he's saying, look, the commandments are not our friends, and you want to put them on our new friends, the Gentiles. Did they work for Israel in the beginning? Did they work? And, and raise your hand, gentlemen, if you have kept all the commandments. Today, how many did you break? So why, why do you want to do this to them? That's what he's saying there. And there's silence in the room. And shouldn't there be? You know, when truth comes out and the Holy Spirit's working and you're doing it right and you're seeking the Lord, there's not much you can say. And it's that pin drop quiet that he's voting and making the verdict there. And so... Icing on the cake here, Paul and Barnabas chime in with all the miraculous things God did, not among Jews, but among Gentiles. And so, yeah, uh, yeah, all the marvelous deeds, you look at that, he's telling about the miraculous signs and wonders that God had done among the Gentiles. What? What is that? Idol worshipers are now deacons. <laughs> The demon-possessed man in town, he's now in his right mind and he's serving the Lord. The, the sorcerers are turning to Jesus and, and burning up their magic books. And the former thugs and murderers, like the Apostle Paul himself, are now in the pastorate. I know many <laughs> former criminals. I know a guy who killed somebody who's a pastor in Vallejo. You've heard it too. 
And that is an amazing sign that we are saved by grace, simply turning to Jesus and trusting in him. Time to finish up with this last paragraph, and then I'll, I'll sum it up. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, listen to me. He's the senior pastor in Jerusalem. Simon has described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. Now smart, wise Pastor James is going to make a decision based on the Bible. Verse 15, let's turn to Amos, he says. The words of the prophets, are plural, are in agreement with this as it is written in just one of them. And now this is a little difficult to understand. I'll explain it. He's quoting from Amos. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent, King David. And its ruins I will rebuild. He's talking about the demise of Israel. And I will restore it. That the remnant of men may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things. Verse 18, that have been known for ages. It is my judgment, James speaking, therefore that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to uh, three things that are important. Socially, how to get along with Jewish Christians. Not salvation. Let's just ease the tension at Calvary Chapel, Antioch, and Galatia, Galatians there. Here are three things, three sensitivities, you Gentiles, if you wouldn't mind. Let's write them, tell them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For Moses, don't worry, guys. Moses has been preached. He has lots of followers in every city from the earliest of times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. So let's pause there. We'll finish up now. The buck stops here with Pastor James. Not James, the disciple. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus. He grew up with the Son of God in the same house. And Jude, who wrote Jude, and James, who wrote James, they're full brothers. They're the product of Mary and Joseph. And they are half-brothers to Jesus, who is the product of Mary and the Spirit of the living God. Conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. So the buck stops here, and it always does, and there always should be a senior pastor dressed like this. This is the proof text that every church should have one, at least one, many elders who work together, but at least one um, that is in the lead. Uh, Pastor James listens, he facilitates, and then verse 19, it's my call. And he makes th the decision. Based on hearing everybody share and contribute, the shared responsibility for leading for sure is with everybody, but there ultimately uh, the buck stops with one guy that God has called, and then he builds a team around him. That's what we see in the New Testament for sure. And so he says, he clears his throat and says, listen, he says, Peter's reminded us of the truth that we see even in our Bible. So he goes to Amos, very interesting, to calm these Pharisees down. He goes to Amos. He could have gone to Isaiah. There are a gabillion scriptures that in the Old Testament that the Gentiles are a big deal to God's kingdom. Well, because the whole world is Gentiles, except a little tiny sliver of land the size of New Jersey. Those are the Jews. So of course God's kingdom is going to be filled with primarily 99.9999 are Gentiles. And the Old Testament says that. So he, But he picks a scripture that says, calm down everybody, even though Israel be, is going to be seen. Because they're like, nobody's talking about Moses in Galatia and Asia and Cyprus. It's no more Moses and kosher in Israel. It's all fading away. Amos says, oh no, at the end, at the end of time, Israel will be honored front and center. Romans 11, 25, at the end, Israel becomes a Christian nation. And in the next administration, after the second coming, Israel plays a big 
role. That's the gist of uh, Amos's prophecy, and the point is to calm them down. Yes, the gospel is going to go forward without a lot of Jewishness, but in the end, the whole world will see the importance and the origin of Israel and the gospel coming from uh, those people. So calm down. <laughs> and then I love what he says. And Moses, he, he say Moses has plenty of preachers. His writings are read every Sabbath. And Moses will not be the loser if Gentiles, who were never his followers in the first place, don't know him and pay allegiance to him. So just because these Gentiles are coming and they don't know Moses and they don't come under Moses, he's saying, what does that matter? There are lots of Jews and lots of people all over the world that love Moses, if that's your deal. So he's trying to calm them down. And so as we kind of uh, wrap up our, our time now, uh, let's talk about that list in the letter. Oh, my goodness. So as I said, these are not laws. They're, they're laws of love and how to get along and not cause offense. There are three things we want you Gentiles to think about uh, to ease tensions and social considerations here. Number one, abstain from food offered to idols. Here's the problem. The Jews sat down at the table. They're really coming out of a whole lifetime of kosher, 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 kosher. And then they sit down next to brother who's a Gentile who, who's been eating meat that's been offered to Zeus. And so the butchers would dedicate the cows and feed them holy water blessed by Zeus and humming and chanting and, uh, and incense and all of that. And so when, when, when they sat down to that kind of meal, the Jews said, no, I can't. I can't do it. So just pay attention to that. Number two, abstain from sexual immorality. This out of, like, what? That's not an option. All followers of Jesus are called to abstain from sexual immorality. Oh, but listen, if you go back to the law of Moses and sexual immorality, including marrying your close relatives, which is what people in the Roman Empire did, they married their brothers and their sisters. And so he's saying, could you please not date your siblings? Uh, because when you date your siblings in the church, it offends the Jews. They're like, I can't, no, please don't. Okay, and so number three, and I'll try to be sensitive here and not gross you out, but I have to talk to you about it, right? So I apologize in advance, but under Mosaic law, they were called, bring the livestock into the temple, slaughter it, and the blood is taken to, uh, as a substitute of your blood. <laughs> the blood goes on the altar. The meat is roasted and makes and provides for the communal meal afterwards. There was a festivity. There was food time afterwards, and that was the animal. But the blood, the blood wasn't to be consumed. You wouldn't sacrifice and then mix the blood in with the recipes as was done outside of the Jewish walls there. So he says, listen, in the law of Moses, the blood, it's life for life. It's a sacrificial thing. It's pointing forward to the blood of the Son of God. So when you come with a livestock animal, minimize the blood by the way you slaughter it. But, right? So in the, the butchers in the Roman pagan areas, would maximize, by the way they slaughtered the livestock, maximize the amount of blood retained in the animal for, I hate to say it, but for flavor and juiciness. And so they would slaughter the animal as noted, right? The Bible says, no, we're not trying to maximize the blood to use in recipes. The blood is to be a sacrifice that goes on the altar, not to be mixed in your soups. So that was number three. So in short, here's what he's saying. If you guys could just avoid the Zeus meat at the, at the dinner, and if you can stop dating your sister or your brother, and then thirdly, if you just don't make dinner time a big bloody mess, uh, then the Jews could 
the Jews will be a lot happier, the Jewish Christians, right? So it was a lot about love. That's all it was. 1 Corinthians 16, 14 says, do everything in love. Now, I'm just going to, the screen go blank, and I'll just tell you the end of the story. They draft up the letter. It's well-received. They send a couple brothers there. They send a guy that we never hear from again, and they also send a guy named Silas. And Silas is going to go on the second missionary trip. So this is God's way of getting Silas in the mix to know Paul and to see that he's trustworthy. And, And here's a great thing. Love the letter. He prefaces the letter by saying to them, listen, we're sorry. Some guys came to you without authority from us. We didn't send them. Oh, I love it. I am sorry. We're sorry. Three little words that Christians should love to say because they bring such comfort and healing and power to reconcile. I'm sorry. What is so hard about that? Ross and everybody else. I am sorry. That's what he says to them. We're so sorry. We heard these guys came up. They're rogue. We didn't send them. They came on their own. Someone had to take matters into their own hands and all of that. And I love the closing. We'll just read it, and then I'll pray. The men were sent off and went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, as I said, Judas... Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the brothers. After spending some time there, they they were sent off by the brothers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. So Judas and Silas got sent back home to Jerusalem. Uh, But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, Syria, where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. I just love that. And now they're going to get a little antsy and Paul is going to turn to Barnabas and he's going to say, what do you think's going on in Galatia? Let's go and find out. Let's take another trip. And so then, well, to be continued, let's pray. <laughs> Father God, we look to you for the exciting continuation of a story the book of acts keeps going in fact there's chapter 29 chapter 30 chapter 31 and all the way up till today your gospel spreading throughout the earth and then one day when that last soul repents that last gentile comes in you will say enough and blow a trumpet and we'll be looking at a new landscape that's for sure So we want to be prepared for that. So help us to live in a way that's spotless, blameless, and at peace with God. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.